Welcome back, everybody. We continue all the way to 6 o'clock right here on the Big Talker 1700. Pete Futek, you've heard him on our show many times, college football news. And with all of the media days beginning to take place and a couple now that have gone by the wayside, I, I don't understand it, Pete. Um, Fedora comes out at North Carolina and just likes, uh, like trashes the party. Uh, I'll let you explain it because you'll do it better than me. A, what he went into this long rant on, and B, is it going to go anywhere? Well, first of all, thank you for Larry Fedora. I, I guess I can't complain anymore that media days are boring and worthless because nobody says anything. Because uh, Larry Fedora does save, save all of us and gives us something to talk about. So, uh, North Carolina head coach Larry Fedora goes all in and starts ranting about how uh, the game, our game of college football is under attack and it's going to be uh, unrecognizable 10 years from now. And if it goes down and has a problem, then our country will fail. And he has talked to many generals and that football is akin to war and they create better and you're not tough enough if you don't play football. And he just went on a, just an epically awesome rant just about how uh, America is weaker because of the uh, our country and our game are under attack. Weird. What, what a, yes. a weird start yeah. to things. And Larry yeah. Fedora in North Carolina, they had their ascension, but uh, never could get quite over the hump. And will be interesting there. But, well, since we're talking about the ACC, let's start at the top. And uh, Clemson. Clemson comes into this year, that ridiculous defensive line, a quarterback improvement You'd expect here be a Kelly Bryant or the freshman coming in, however that turns out. Are they the the closest thing to a lock, even more than Alabama, to get to the college football playoff? A little bit. Alabama's more of a lock. But, you know, first of all, back to Fedora real quick, most coaches actually sort of think that to some extent. One way or another, you kind of have to if you're a football coach. They just don't verbalize it that way. Mm -hmm. But it it is funny that that all those guys are going to kind of think the same version of the thing. But to your point, uh, they're – they are because Clemson's by far the best team in the ACC. However, it's a very deep ACC. There is, there, there's no free space game. There's no Kansas in the ACC this year. There's no Rutgers <laughs> or, you know, really, uh-huh. really miserable team. I mean, the worst teams like Syracuse, uh, Virginia, and they're still good enough to potentially go bowling. So there's a whole lot to like uh, about the ACC. So on any given day, Clemson could absolutely brain cramp. They've done it the last few years. They just can't lose that second game. Alabama, however, uh, does have the best team, and if you look at their schedule, they're going to be double-digit favorites the entire way. So just chalk up those two as if they don't get to the college football playoff, it is a massive, massive failure on both of their parts. Uh, Pete, I'm real curious then. Uh, my, my final thought then on the on the ACC is this a conference, once again, that expects to have their best team, Clemson, once again in the Final Four? Uh, or a team in there, because it, it, what we know now is unless there's just ridiculous circumstances, like last year Auburn would have gotten into the college football playoff with two losses. Basically, you have to win your conference championship and or have one loss or fewer and or be Alabama. So if you're in that category, you're going to find a way to get in this. And so it, you have to have one loss. So if it's Miami that turns out to be 12-1, and one, it's going to get in. Uh, a two-loss ACC team is all of a sudden going to be in deep trouble, just like a two-loss team would be in any conference. 
So at this point, yeah, if you're every conference is going to expect its champion to be good enough to have one loss or going undefeated and get into the college football playoffs. Here a little bit closer to home, the Big 12 wrapped up their media days down in Frisco, Texas yesterday. Oklahoma, the clear-cut number one in that conference, but you can make a lot of debate with a lot of different teams, in my mind, for choice number two. As we sit here, Pete, on July 18th, who's your choice to uh, take on Oklahoma in that championship game? Uh, at the mo- it, the problem is everyone's going to be equally mediocre. Mm-hmm. You know, there just isn't that number two team out there, like you said. So throw them all in a hat. I, <laughs> in a weird way, I don't think Texas is that good. I don't think they have the talent. But if you look at their schedule and you look at how this could shape up, they could be like a three-loss team that ends up in the, the Big 12 championship just because of various tiebreakers if they beat West Virginia on the right day. West Virginia is probably that second-best team. TCU not far behind. Uh, but I think you're going to have one of those situations where Oklahoma is probably going to be that number one team, and then you're going to have two or three uh, other teams that are just right around that area. Pete, what I'm really, I, I, I just sit and I think about the, the Big Ten and the imbalance in the Big Ten. They're never going to change that, right? The East is always going to be the same. The West is always going to be the same with all of those teams. Remember several years ago when people were screaming about that with the Big 12, where the Big 12 yes. North had Kansas State and it had Nebraska and it had Colorado. And you're like, wow, just look at the, all the power teams that are in the North. And then it shifted all to the South. You know, these, these things ebb and flow. You know, Ohio State's always going to be good. Penn State's going to be good. Michigan State's going to be good. Michigan's going to be fine. Uh, but now look at what's coming up is that you're hoping that Nebraska under Scott Frost is going to be a whole lot better. You know, Iowa's always going to be okay. problem is when you have the, the Purdue's and, I, and uh, uh, Minnesota's of the world that are, you know, are just okay but not great. Of course, there's a power imbalance. However, you know, that's, you still have to play a championship game. So even if the power is all in one division – there, there's the equalizer at the end there where, okay, if the best team that comes out of the East, well, then win the Big Ten championship. And that's sort of what's been happening over the last few years, obviously, uh, where Wisconsin's been good enough uh, to get there but just barely coming just, just short. So uh, I don't think they're going to start messing around with it just because they don't want to start messing with the rivalry game. You know, Pete, as people talk about the power of the East, Wisconsin, the clear-cut favorite in the West, is this team not good enough to even get to the college football playoff? I think certainly a scenario is out there. They go 11-1, and pulled that upset like they almost did a year ago, at least had a chance against Ohio State, and get in. But can they be more than that? Could that be a team? Maybe not win the whole thing, but could win a game in a college football playoff? Or are we going too oh, far I, with the Badgers? Oh, I think they could win the whole thing. I wow. thought they could have won the whole thing last year. I mean, that's because of their style. I mean, they've always been that team, and you all, you saw it where even against Miami where it looked like, oh, gosh, they can't stay on the same field with these guys, or Ohio State in the first half where, you know, you got all these, the speed just flying up and down, and then they just Wisconsin up and just, just grind, grind, grind. Uh, they could absolutely have beaten Georgia last year or Oklahoma, or even, you know, Alabama was good, obviously great, but uh, that's a style of play that could just hang around with those teams, so uh I do absolutely think that they could at least get to the college football playoff national championship. They, they're now that team that's on the, that program that probably along with USC and maybe throw Penn State over the last few years, mm-hmm. the program that, that's 
done the most without really doing anything. Um, they haven't gotten to the college football playoff yet. They haven't won a Big Ten championship in a long time, at least in a few years. And they've been good enough to do that. They just can't quite get over that hump. Uh, and that's the crazy part about this system. Had they scored, you kind of alluded to this, had they scored on that final drive against Ohio State in the Big Ten championship, they're in and Alabama's out of the college football playoff. It's wow. kind of how fickle this whole thing is. All right. Speaking of fickle, which <laughs> conference is not going to appear in the final four this year, Pete? Uh, if I had to guess, I'm going to say the Big 12 is probably out. I don't think Oklahoma uh, gets out of this with less than uh, two, fewer than two losses. Uh, definitely you have to automatically pencil in you know, the SEC champion and ACC champion. And I'm assuming that the Big Ten champion is going to get in, or someone from the Big Ten is going to get in this year. Uh, and then I think Washington from the Pac-12 is going to be, uh, again, two times in three years. If you look at their schedule, look at their count coming back, that's a better team than the one that got to the college football playoff uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and then assume that maybe a second SEC team, if Georgia or whoever comes out of the East, there could be a second team from the SEC that, you know what, the college football playoff committee just goes, that team's just better than the champion of another league. So I would guess that the Big 12 out of the Power 5 is the one that's going to be left holding the bag. Well, it's been the Pac-12 that has been left out in the past, so is it Washington? Are you a believer in the Huskies getting in for the second time in three years or or somebody else out of the left coast? Yeah, no, the the Pac-12 is going to be – I mean, they, they obviously took a big hit in the uh, the bowl season last year, which was a big problem, uh, but they Washington's way good enough. I it comes down to the opener. If they can beat Auburn in the opener, then it's game on. Then the Pac twelve, the Pac twelve desperately need the splashy win, and that would be it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of those games I think that they can pull off and make a big national statement. Because even in this great run of the last two years, they still haven't really beaten anybody. This would be a chance to do that. If they beat Auburn, I think Washington gets in. If they don't beat Auburn then the Pac-12 is probably out of the uh, the college football playoff race. Do you think with the addition now of a league championship game, that will make a difference for the Big 12? Because you've already, already referenced, you think they will be out. Yeah, I always thought it was a bad thing. I mean, because, you know, think about a couple of years ago, if you, you're, you're just opening yourself up to something fluky. You know, an 11-1 and Oklahoma or a Big 12 champion will almost certainly get in, or at least it will get the nod uh, over any two-loss team that's out there. So what you're doing is you're inviting the fluke. You know, if TCU had won that game last year uh, in the rematch, Oklahoma's out. So uh, I I think you're kind of making the, uh, in a rematch sort of way. I always thought that the Big 12 championship game doesn't do anything for them. Uh, but... All right, it's an extra shot there. If you win that championship game and you're eleven and, and you're twelve and one, you're pretty much assured of getting into the college football playoff. Back to uh, the Big Ten and our neighbors to the West, and we've obviously talked a lot about Scott Frost and how quickly he's going to get things turned around at Nebraska. A story starting to brew over there about uh, one of their uh, player control coaches that are there, an anti-gay activist, their leader of player development. Ron Brown. Have you seen anything about this story? Because certainly at a public institution, you wouldn't think this would play very well. It's not going to play well at all. I mean, even if you know, it just you can't do that in today's day and age and just have those sorts of things. And so, uh, in terms of just turning the, everything around, obviously, you know, Scott Frost is going to want 
to start off on the right foot in every way, shape, and form. Uh, that's a public institution thing, like you said, and that's, that's going to be the type of thing you say, okay, we're going to just let the school handle this. And in terms of turning it around, it, it might take a while. They don't have a whole lot of talent at Nebraska. It, they mm-hmm. certainly don't have the speed that he had at UCF, and he doesn't have the, the setup. Remember, you know, he got a lot of credit for turning uh, the program around right away from 0-12. That was a, a weird 0-12 team. It kind of they were just building it back up. They kind of quit because George O'Leary was going through the motions. Uh, but there was a whole lot of talent there to work with. They had a lot of uh, games that went just close the wrong way. So that was, if it's possible to be a, an okay 0-12 team, that was it. And then the next year, they didn't beat anybody. They beat a whole slew of bums on the way to getting to a bowl game and then lost uh, their bowl game, I believe, at uh, Arkansas State. Uh, and then last year, they had their, you know, obviously great run. They didn't really beat anybody until the Auburn game. So it's, we'll see. He's obviously the hot coach at the right time. Uh, but let's just see if this turns around. I don't think it's going to happen right away. If it does, it's going to be a while. He's going to need a recruiting class or he's going to need, uh, Adrian Martinez, his new, uh, superstar mm-hmm. quarterback to be right there, to be amazing right out of the gate. Pete, in our lifetime, will, will we ever see? A team from the American, uh, the Big Sky. I'm uh, not the Big Sky. The uh, Mountain the, West. Uh, Mountain West. Mountain West. Thank you. Yeah, it used to be that. Yeah, the Mountain West. Will we ever see somebody else break through and get into that Final Four, or do it? Or will it happen when they decide to finally expand to eight teams? No, I think it can happen if. The problem with UCF last year is they didn't beat anybody who was any good. If you remember Houston a couple years ago, they opened up yes. the season by smacking around. Everyone was all hot and bothered on them because they were coming off the big year where they won the New York Six game over Florida State. And then they opened up the season by destroying Baker Mayfield and an Oklahoma team that went on to win the Big 12 championship. And later that year, they destroyed Louisville and Lamar Jackson, who ended up winning the Heisman. They also wet the bed against some, you know, some conference teams and ended up blowing it. But had they been able to go undefeated with those two wins, they would have absolutely been in the college football playoffs because you'd had two major resume wins. What you need if you're one of these uh, group of five programs is you need a big, strong resume win that can sort of anchor your argument. And then you just have to roll from there. You know, it's not UCF's fault. Uh, last season, Maryland didn't have any quarterbacks left when they played him and turned out to be bad and, you know, they right. you know, they didn't end up playing Georgia Tech because of the hurricane. Uh, but you need those big wins over Power 5 teams, and then you have to destroy everything else in your path on the way there. I think that there is a shot. I think there's a potential argument uh, there for a lot of teams. But at the end of the day, it's not just about winning those one or two big games. It's, you know, like even look at the Big 12. You know, yes, maybe you can beat, you know, let's say Kansas State, but then can you beat Texas the next week? Then can you beat Oklahoma the next week? Can you beat Oklahoma State? It's just that. You know, every single week you're playing a team that's obviously a Power 5 caliber good, and you just don't get that in the Group of 5 world. Pete, as you'll be, uh, well, right there close to home in Chicago next week, you'll get to hear Tuesday morning from Kirk Ferentz. Uh, How excited are you on a scale of 1 to 10 to hear the same platitudes from Coach for the 20th straight year? You know, I like Kirk Ferentz, so I'm cool. It's fine. He gets a free pass. What I don't like, though, and there's no way to stop this, is you've got these Big Ten media days, and you have two Heisman-caliber players in your conference, Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins, and they're not there. 
you don't have the starting quarterback of Michigan, Ohio State, or Wisconsin there. Now, I know it's a seniority mm-hmm. thing, but if you don't have the big, I mean, really, you know, is there anybody there you need to talk to? Not really. You know, the coaches, I mean, everyone's going to be around Scott Frost and Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer always worth the price of admission. You know, but in terms of players and just who are the good storylines, there's just nothing there. So, you know, when you don't bring the guys, the media, I never understand this about media days. They're media days. The media wants to talk to the top players. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why don't you bring the top players that everyone is going to actually want to talk to? I've just never understood that. Or the Big Ten should just bring Larry Fedora and let him roll and give us all a break. (laughs) That wouldn't be a bad thing. That wouldn't be a bad thing. You know, we're we're dealing with that same thing here. Noah Fant is obviously the most talented player at Iowa. Oh, it's, he's a he's a, oh, he's a you know, top fifty draft pick at least. Absolutely, yeah, he is a freak physically. He had eleven touchdowns as a tight end last year, but uh, Kirk, well, he's only brought two juniors ever. One of them this year's quarterback coming over in Nate Stanley, along with Josie Jewell a couple of years back. But, uh, you know, the the old guys, it's difficult to change them, and, and that's what we get. Well, regardless, Pete, we're looking forward to your coverage over at College Football News. What do you have over here over the next month plus as we gear up for college football season? Well, it's geared up for college football season. All the conference previews are up there right now. All the team-by-team previews are up right now. All the, you know, everything on every team. And uh, we dive right into it. We have a couple more weeks, and then it's, it's on. So uh, then it's right into the picks and predictions time, and then it's uh, the, the, the fun part for the next four months. Good stuff. Hey, Pete, as well, always, great catching up with yep. you. Anytime, guys. Have a good one. That's Pete Futek. College football news is where you can find him, a guy that always uh, brings the opinion. Love that about Pete. Doesn't pull yes. any pu- punches. He tells it like he sees it, and always good to see it. And how about his thoughts on Wisconsin? Not, not good enough just to get in the playoff, but to win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Is Alex Hornibrook throwing right-handed this year? Does something change? <laughs> he can't. He, he's got to get better, don't you think? Well, here's the I thing. Mean, he's got to. He's got. He's got to be able to throw the ball on a better trajectory and throw it to the guy who has a similar jersey on that he has. You know, Hornibrook. He was a guy that you saw last year really struggle at times. He had a great offensive line. It's going to be even better this year. I mean, they're a turn 4 of 5. They're they're good. The yeah. wide receivers get healthy this year after all the injuries they had there. Taylor will be back for his sophomore year. He played so well in that game in the Orange Bowl against Miami that I think people are going a little bit too far with the love. I mean, who would you rather have? Alex Hornibrook or Nate Stanley? Well, I, I'm with you. I'm I'm with you after what I saw out of Stanley. A- absolutely. But is is Hornybrook the guy who we saw in terrible games last year? Or is he going to be the guy that what you just talked about that we saw in the bowl game? That's the big question. He doesn't have to be great, but he can't no. tr- he can't throw fifteen interceptions. You know, last right. year his yeah. numbers twenty six hundred plus yards, twenty five touchdowns, fifteen picks. If those numbers yes. approach 3,000 yards, say the same amount of touchdowns, you know, right in that 25, maybe 28 range, but the interceptions are cut in half and you're talking about seven or eight, I can see it. I, I absolutely can. The Badgers last year had a great schedule. This year, it's not overly difficult, but they go to Iowa, they go to Michigan, they go to Northwestern, mm-hmm. they go to Penn State, they go to Purdue. Yeah. Do they get through that with only one loss? I, I don't see that Boy. happening. Yeah, I, I think from from the the teams that they're playing on the road, Trent, 
all of those teams that you just referenced are good enough, at least at home, to steal a win. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they're a better team than Whiskey. Right. I'm just saying that they are good enough to steal a win at home. I, I'm in the same boat. I, I don't think the Badgers are going to be bad this year. It's not what I'm saying, but I didn't believe in them last year. And, well, yeah. Ken called them to go 12-0, and and what do they do? They go 12-0. <laughs> it, it, it's so interesting, though, in this year where 10-2 and and say those two losses come in conference and let's say Iowa also goes 7-2 and and has the tiebreaker, that would be considered an epic failure for Wisconsin football this year. Yes. Yes. I, I remember I, I'm, w- I'm with you. This program growing up back in the 80s, Jimmy B, when they were trying to run the Veer, I mean, j- just it was a laughing stock at college football. And, and now what they have become, college football playoff, national championship, that kind of talk isn't crazy with Wisconsin football. Uh, wild change over the last 30 years for the Badgers. With that, we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk uh, a little more football on the other side. We're going to talk some Chicago Bears football, Jimmy B., the Bears get Bourbon Ake's training car, uh, camp started tomorrow as they'll be uh, yep. the kickoff game of the Hall of Fame game with them and the Ravens. The Ravens started today. Jimmy B., oh, are we getting close to football? So, so Oh, close. man, I am happy that at least, at least we start getting some NFL camps opening and we'll get some information out of those camps. And then at least the exhibition season begins and everybody says, wow, those games don't count and they don't play. But we're still... Mm-hmm. We're in games. Why? Because it's football. That's why we watch. Coming back on the other side, Jeff Hughes from DeBear's blog. He'll join us next as we take you up until 6 o'clock tonight. Then it's high school baseball taking the airwaves. A top 10 matchup. The winner goes to Principal Park and the state tournament. Indianola 34-3 and on the year. They host West Des Moines Valley. I got the play-by-play coming up with you, 645 with the pregame, 7 o'clock with the first pitch. All to come here, 1700 KBGG. Welcome back as we continue on. It's Jimmy B and TC on the Big Talker 1700 KBGG. Bringing you some more football talk right now with the break of the All-Star game last night and into football season. The Chicago Bears open up camp. And, well, Jim, you know, the Bears are my team, but this isn't just anything. Just for me, this is for, well, about a fourth of our audience. We got the Packers, we got the Vikings, we got the Chiefs and the Bears. And Bears fans uh, maybe a little bit more excited than they have been the last couple of seasons. Here to talk about them and a whole lot more, Jeff Hughes from the Bears blog who joins us today. Jeff, what's happening? Not a lot. The Bears report to camp tomorrow. They start practicing Saturday and football season has come way faster than I expected it to, but it is here. It is here and and ready for it in a season where uh, the expectations certainly seem to be higher. I I don't know if this is a playoff team, but you expect improvement in year number one out of Matt Nagy. Speaking of that improvement, you know what what's the thing? Maybe organizationally, why? Before we dig into players and some different angles there, just this organization as a whole. What are you looking to see this season? I think. From an organizational standpoint, it's twofold when it comes to Matt Nagy, and that's Matt Nagy needs to establish himself as the head coach of the entire football team and not the guy in charge of the offense. Bringing back Vic Fangio was a coup for him. Vic Fangio is a wonderful coach. But I just don't believe in the model anymore, that I don't, at least the sustainability of the model, that you can become a head coach and only overlook one half of the team. So I'd like to see Matt Nagy 
become the head coach of the entire team. The other thing I'd be looking at from an organizational standpoint is how are all these moving pieces going to come together? You know, this, this, this uh, organization was essentially overhauled in the offseason. New offensive coaching staff, a ton of new offensive talent, so new scouts were brought in. How is this all going to merge together? Because to, to talk about what you started to hint towards, whether they are a playoff contender or a middle-of-the-pack team will probably be determined on how quickly all of this comes together. Okay, so they get ready to open camp tomorrow, and everybody thinks that Mitchell Trubisky is going to, like, walk on water. What if he has a sophomore slump? And I'll ask you this then, Jeff. Could that be a possibility with what the Bears have, or do you believe that we will not see that sophomore slump and it'll be a terrific breakout season for the young QB? I think he's going to have a very good season. Now, I, I don't know how to quantify that because I believe his rookie season was essentially a waste. Uh, he was in a nothing offense with nothing talent and a head coach who had no interest in playing him at all his rookie season. Uh, he didn't see first-team reps with his center and his offense until week five of the NFL season. None of that is good, uh, a good way to develop a rookie quarterback. So this is, a, this is a reset button for Mitch Trubisky. So I would say he can't have a sophomore slump because I'm calling his rookie season a redshirt rookie season. I think he got some, some great game time. I think he's earned a lot of respect in the locker room. But he's learning a whole new way to play football this year. I think he'll play better only because I liked what I saw his rookie year and he did that with nothing around him. So now you put an offensive philosophy in place, you put some very good skill guys in place. If he can't be more productive this year, then the Bears have a problem at quarterback and not the answer. Jeff, uh, weapons around him. There appears to be a whole lot more certainly at the receiver position. Who leads this team in receptions this year? It's a great question. I was actually debating that myself earlier today, and I have a feeling that Trey Burton is going to have an awful lot of catches for this offense at the tight end position. We know what this Chiefs offense was all about with Andy Reid and Matt Nagy. We know that they've gone off with, uh, with Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, and a similar thing has transpired. They love to throw the ball to the tight end, and the Bears didn't go out and spend an awful lot of money on Trey Burton to have him be a role player. He's coming in here to catch an awful lot of passes. I would say Allen Robinson is the guy they want to throw the ball 75, 80 times to. But you look at the wide receiving core now. Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller coming in as a, as, a, as a rookie that has really fired people up. They're still going to give Kevin White a shot. They've brought in a lot. Oh, Tariq Cohen's going to catch a lot of passes. So there's a lot of guys to catch a lot of balls. But Trey Burton is the guy I could see having a Travis Kelsey-type season and being the breakout performer on this offense this year. Hmm. All right. If that's the case on offense, what do we got defensive-wise? Where, where, where are you going to put the Bears right now? They were a top-10 team to finish last year, but they lacked explosive plays. And I, and I keep telling people, I'm okay with you going by rankings. You want to go by yardage stats, point stats, it's fine. But the great defenses turn the opponent over and sack the opposing quarterback. And I think those are the two areas. If this defense wants to make a leap from what they are, which is like 10, 12 in the league, but if they want to be an elite defense that can carry a team to the playoffs, they've got to turn their opponent over and they've got to get to the quarterback. I think they can make 
strides when it comes to turnovers just because of luck. They dropped a lot of interceptions last year, and their opponents recovered a lot of their own fumbles. I do not see on this roster right now the pass rush you need to be an elite defense. Leonard Floyd is a, is a terrific talent, but he's never on the field. They do not have, opposite him, a top-level player to, to generate pass rush. I think Hakeem Hicks will get to the quarterback. I think Eddie Goldman can get to the quarterback. But right now, if you're asking me how this team gets to the quarterback, it's going to take creativity from Fangio and not just talent. And I never liked sending too many guys to the quarterback in this NFL where it's so easy to throw it downfield. Well, uh, speaking of that defense, uh, a big piece is what they did at the beginning of the draft. And it's uh, certainly odd when you go through what they did. Roquan Smith uh, has the same agents that Joey Bosa had a couple years back. He missed the first three preseason games. Still isn't signed. These things are slotted. So what's going on here? Help us out. i got to be perfectly honest. I don't know anybody who knows. And it caught a lot of people off guard when Ian Rappaport uh, released the tweet a few days ago. I was told two weeks ago that this thing was a done deal. Several of my media friends were told uh, after that this thing was a done deal. Nobody has told anyone what's the holdup. So... The belief right now, and this is the last word I got was early this morning, the belief right now is this will get done, that he will be in camp. It may be a few days late, but he will be in camp by early next week. If it starts to drag out beyond early next week, if it starts to drag out multiple weeks, I think there would be room for concern. But I, I do believe this deal is going to get done in the next seven to ten days. Jeff Hughes from DeBear's blog joining us here from uh, Roquan Smith to the other top pick, the second pick in the uh, second round, James Daniels from the University of Iowa. You know, the initial plan was that he's going to start out at guard and then maybe become the heir apparent at that center position down the line. I told you right after we talked after the draft, I, I think that's a mistake. I think Whitehair is a better guard and Daniels will be a better center. Do you think it'll shake out that way or are they going to go with what they talked about right after the draft? I still believe Daniels will be the center and Whitehair will go back to guard. Yeah. Uh, I just believe that, I, but I don't believe they'll start this camp that way. I think they are going to put Cody in the middle, put Daniels at guard, and they're going to trust Harry Heastan. He's one of the best offensive line coaches in the country, been at Notre Dame the last several years. They're going to trust that, that Heastan can come in, evaluate, and put his best five up there. But if I told you guys in the past, and I write about this all the time, to me, just put them somewhere and leave them there. The, the mark on this organization with the offensive line has been – since Kyle Long has gotten there, they have not known what they are doing when it comes to consistency on the offensive line. These guys need to play together. They need to stay in one spot, and they have to gel. And the great offensive lines have always done that. You don't move them from spot to spot. You have to let them get into a rhythm. So wherever they decide to put Daniels and White here, put them there and leave them there and give them time to grow in the positions. It always amazes me because I think some fans, they're enamored with the quarterback or the running back or the wide receivers, and they really don't pay really any attention to the big fat guys up on the offensive line and how important those guys are and how they do have to work as a cohesive unit in order to be successful to protect the quarterback, to open up holes for a running back. Can you kind of just go into detail a little bit? Now, you referenced a couple of other teams and how the Bears need to do that and how important that is. 
if you look around the NFL right now, there is a distinguishing trait for a lot of the better teams, and that is they have a cohesive offensive line that stays together and plays together for a long period of time. The one team I try to point people to so they can understand this is the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans do not have explosive skill position players. They have a quarterback who's still growing. They have some good talent at running back. And they've got, you know, middle-of-the-road wide receiver talent. But their offense keeps their defense off the field because they have five monsters up front who keep the chains moving. And the weird thing about NFL fans when it comes to offensive linemen is, I wouldn't say it's weird. That's actually an unfair word. The problem is, if you're an NFL fan, where do you go to understand the importance of offensive line play? There's not a network who's going to put on a show called Offensive Line Tonight. (laughs) They're not going to break down guard play for you. They're not going to explain to you why Zach Martin is one of the best players in the NFL. It's not considered a quote-unquote sexy position. And it was the, I tell you, it was the mark of what made John Madden so great as a, as a color analyst because he sat there and he said to you, watch how this guy blocks this guy, and here's a sound effect to make it fun for you. And I just think that fans have, have, they have access now to the All-22, but here's the other problem. They don't know what they're watching. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the guard is supposed to do. You don't know where that tackle is supposed to be at the end of the play. And I, I do wish that, that the league did a better job of educating fans as to the importance of these positions because so often teams with good skill talent and a good quarterback fumble around because they just can't keep the defense off their skill players. So, you know, I'm an offensive line guy from way back. I I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up listening to Bill Parcells talk about offensive line. I grew up reading about offensive line. It is, to me, the most pivotal uh, position on the entire football field. I think the game is played and won in the trenches, and one day I hope that uh, fans will come to that realization. Jeff, uh, the division as a whole, the Vikings are the favorite, at least the betting favorite, and uh, with legalized gambling happening across the country, I have a smile across my face. I'm sure you do as well. The Bears, they sit in that third position, plus 750 as I look at it offshore here today. Uh, worth the fire at 15 to 2 or are we going we're getting a little crazy here what do you think well they're definitely worth a flyer I, I would say the NFL is a strange league in that you're just a couple of injuries from some of these teams eliminating themselves and, and here's the question I would ask about the Vikings I was down on the Vikings going into the playoffs last year because I thought defensively they were pretty exposed towards the end of last season and they had no business winning the playoff game that they won right I do not like this Packers roster. I, I think they have a great quarterback, one of the great quarterbacks of all time. I do not like what's around him on either side of the ball. And I think Detroit will do what Detroit does. They'll either be 9-7 and seven or 8-8, eight and eight and they'll lose in the playoffs quickly. So if you're going to take a flyer at 15-2 to two on the Bears, it's worth it because I'll tell you, if this offense clicks with this talent in the summer and it doesn't take eight regular season games, there's no reason to believe they shouldn't be playing relevant games in December. And in a league with this much parity, I mean, does anybody believe the Vikings are going to go 14-2 and or 13-3? and I don't think they're that kind of team. But we're going to see. The other question about Minnesota is, did they really upgrade on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, is Kirk Cousins going to have a better year than Case Keenum had last year? I'm not confident that's going to happen. I, I just know this. Very few star NFL quarterbacks 
are simply let go by a franchise. So for some reason, Washington did not want that guy around anymore. And I, before I started betting on Minnesota, I'd want to know why. That's, you know, when you phrase it just like that, Jeff, that's pretty interesting. Because he is a good player, and he got paid some huge dollars to be the guy for the Minnesota Vikings, and they just pretty much wanted him gone, and then yeah. they bring in Alex Smith with, with the skins. I mean, that, Alex yeah, go Smith ahead. is the guy you let go so you can bring in the yeah. young kid. We all know yeah. who Alex Smith is. Alex Smith is the guy who stabilizes your quarterback position until you can get the young kid to come in and change your franchise. You're going to tell me that, that the Washington Redskins evaluated their quarterback position, and, and we've, heard, we've heard Jay Gruden say they, he believes they upgraded a quarterback by bringing Alex Smith in. So that leads me to believe something. we're not seeing something when it comes to Kirk Cousins. And I just wonder a little bit if he won't be in a hurry in Minnesota to show everybody they were wrong and start flinging the ball around and start making mistakes. I could see that coming. I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not as high on Minnesota as others now. That being said, they'll probably win the Super Bowl. But <laughs> I, I'm not as high on them as others because I just think some of these moves I need to wait and see. Five preseason games. Final thing here for you, Jeff. Uh, it is the Hall of Fame game that gets things started August 2nd against Baltimore. Do you uh, have any thoughts with the extra preseason game, having the extra game in here? Good thing, bad thing, indifferent. Where do you sit? Well, it means I have to spend another night explaining to fans that the preseason doesn't matter True. and losing 40 yeah. or 50 Twitter followers in the meantime. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. You get an extra week of practice, which I think is, is beneficial for the, for the organization, especially with a young quarterback and a new coach. Uh, I always say training camp, has, training camp and the preseason just don't have the value they had 15 years ago. We all have to embrace that. There's no two-a-days anymore. These guys are barely hitting in the summer. It's all about installation and classroom work. So... The, the, the longer you can keep these players together, the more time you can spend with them in the classroom is better. So I would say having the fifth game, having the extra week of practice for a young team with a young coaching staff doing this for the first time, it can't be a bad thing. Man, it's always good when we catch up with you, Jeff, and we're going to do it uh, throughout the course of the uh, exhibition season and the regular season. Thank you, man. You have a great day. You guys, too. Talk to you soon. Okay, that's Jeff Hughes, the Bears blog. Always good stuff coming from him. I really enjoy having him on because I know that he writes a pro Bears blog. That's his job. But he is honest when he comes on the radio show, Trent. I always appreciate that. Yeah, he uh, he brings a really good perspective, certainly, to things with the yep. Bears. And, and a season where Ken's been trying to tell me for months that they are going to be better. And... and Maybe I'm buying in. I still, I don't think they're anything better than 500, but I can see this team 8-8. Eight and eight. I, I think the improvement's there, and I am excited about Matt Nagy, the new coach and, and what he is doing. I am excited to see this offense, and we've seen second-year quarterbacks just last year. Carson Wentz before the injury. Jared Goff mm -hmm. made big leaps in that second year. Having you know a guy that knows quarterbacks certainly has to be helpful for Mitchell Trubisky. I, I'm with you, and, and look, I... I hope that Jeff is correct where he thinks Trubisky will have a, a breakout year and, and be good. And I hope they open up that offense a little more for Trubisky. Uh, we, we know the guy has skills. Uh, he can avoid the rush. He can make plays with his legs. 
and I, I, I would just like to see them improve so they, so they don't stay the doormat uh, of that division. I just hope that's not the case. Well, we will come back on the other side and put a cap on things as we get ready for uh, tonight, a quiet night in the world of sports. The ESPYs this evening. I know you're excited about that, aren't you, Brinson? <sighs> what? Early to bed no. for Jimmy B. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I, 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 it's, it's great. And I, I enjoy what what they do for the Jimmy V found Foundation as well, but it's you know it's a it's a television network that just created its own show, that's all. And so okay, have fun with it. It's good. <laughs> Will I peek in? Yeah, I'll peek in, but it's just not my deal. Well, I, I got a question for you coming up uh, pertaining to local level. We'll do our little Iowa SBs coming up on the other side. With you until 6 o'clock. Back with more in a moment. All right, back one final time. Jimmy B and TC continues on here till 6 o'clock. Then high school baseball this evening with Indianola and West Des Moines Valley. Jim, tonight it's the SBs, and that is basically it as we get ready for the Open Championship. But uh, Ken brought this up to me earlier today. Want to get your perspective. You know, they have all the awards at the SBs, Player of the Year, blah, blah, blah. Right. Team of the yeah. Year, though, is always an interesting one. If you had to hand out Team of the Year in the state of Iowa this year, if, if we mm. take it from July of last year to right now, who's the Team of the Year in the state of Iowa? Uh, are we just talking college or are we talking college or high school? You can do whatever. I mean, you can go to the pro ranks if you want and if you want to kiss the butt of the barnstormers like some people do. Um. Look, I I what I think what the Barnstormers did was tremendous. The only problem I have with it, the league only has six teams. Yeah. So from so from that's that standpoint, um, I know what they did, and I know winning a championship. But you only have six teams, so you see them over and over and over again. Uh, did they put on a great show? Absolutely. Is it a a, a great uh, thing for? The Barnstormers, after all these years, to win a title? Yes, it is, and I congratulate them on that. Let me think, though, if that's exactly where I want to go. Team of the year last year. Iowa was 7-5 and five in football. Basketball was a huge disappointment. Yes. You and I got in, but that was it. Iowa State. With the bowl win, maybe I was yes. State football, certainly not the basketball side. You know, in the high right. school ranks, Dowling Catholic won another title, but it's almost ho hum at this point. You know, for the Maroons, uh, it's it's kind of difficult, Jimmy. It wasn't it, it wasn't a great yeah. year in the state. I mean, yeah, that's, I'm struggling doing that. I really am. So that's why I was trying to think of a high school team. What about high school baseball? Was there a dominant high school baseball team last year? Yeah, it was Johnston. And Johnston last year, Jack Dreyer, who yes. we saw pitch this year for the yes. University of Iowa, he was their number one. He was outstanding. Yeah. Johnston is uh, one that I brought up at the at the high school ranks. I think you have to throw them certainly on the list. But I, I might vote Iowa State football just because – you know, mm-hmm. we were talking about can they get to six, and, and to get to six, they probably had to beat Iowa. Well, they did more than that. The win against Oklahoma, the win that they had against TCU. I'd probably argue it was Iowa State football a year ago, and even with that, it was a nice season. It was an eight and five year, 
But that's if that's the top we had, that just shows you what the last calendar year's kind of been. Not the best, certainly, in in the state that we've had. No, I, I think you're you're right. I, I think we were both trying to think of somebody that was dominant, and there wasn't nope. a, a dominant team. But I agree with you from the standpoint uh, with Iowa's shellacking of Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I, I that that just stunned everybody. I mean, there were that's great right moments. up there. Yeah, there were great yes, moments. No yeah, doubt. Great moment. Yep. But I think you might be onto something here because Iowa State did it twice, mm-hmm. beating uh, beating top ten teams. And so from that standpoint and winning a bowl game in a stadium where that team plays in Memphis, that's their home yard, and they were still able to win the Liberty Bowl, okay, I'll go with you on Ohio State. I was just scratching my brain trying to think of somebody else. And Look, I get the barnstormer thing, and with what they accomplished is tremendous, but I just went back and just said that, they they only had a small amount of teams to play, so you saw them over and over and over again. So, I don't know, Trent. That's that's a tough one. It really is. But all right, all right, you convince me. I'll I'll go with the Cyclones with you. All right, with that, Jimmy B. We are about out of time for today. Again, high school baseball comes your way this evening. Substate final, the winner to Principal Park with Indianola and Valley. And I got to get on the road and get there here in the next uh, well, 35 minutes or so before I take the airwaves once again. We will be back tomorrow starting at noon. Myself and Ken Miller, then on your drive home, Jimmy B and TC, all here on 1700.